Hey everybody, you're listening to the Hope in Crisis podcast, where Tim Costello brings you intimate conversations with his inspiring friends from around the world during this difficult time of coronavirus. Our desire is that you would be filled with hope through these conversations to remain faithful and resilient during these unprecedented times. On this episode, Tim talks to Dr. Alia Aboud from Lebanon. Alia is the former operations manager at World Vision Lebanon and is now the chief development officer at the Lebanese Society for Educational and Social Development, who work to empower and equip the church in the Middle East. I'm delighted uh, this afternoon, well, this morning for Ali Aboud, who's in Lebanon, to be interviewing her. Uh, I understand, uh, Ali, uh, you grew up in Sierra Leone, West Africa, and then uh, left uh, what really was a war-torn country to go back to your home in Lebanon and finish your studies, that you had time with World Vision and uh, in some senses your faith, your Christian faith really grew through that time uh, thanks to the daily devotions. And after giving your life to Christ, you've joined a Baptist church. I happen to be a Baptist minister uh, earlier. And... uh, you worked as a communications officer at World Vision Lebanon and you joined the Lebanese Society for Educational and Social Development in 2003, where today you're still serving as the uh, Chief Development Officer. Alia, I hope I've got that right, but does that sound you? That sounds like me. <laughs> well, it's an honour to have you and I haven't cited your MBAs and NGO leadership and all your other academic work, but it's an honour to be talking to you. Um, If I could just start with this question, uh, what are you witnessing at the moment in Lebanon in terms of the uh, coronavirus and its impact on your society? Well, to start with, thank you so much for um, inviting us uh, to be part of this series. Hope in times of crisis. Lebanon has been in crisis for a number of years now, and actually the COVID-19 crisis, if I may say so, is a crisis in the midst of a much wider, larger crisis, long-term crisis. For instance, um, for us, Lebanon has been going through deepening economic decline, um, part of which is being uh, perceived as being related to the refugee crisis also that has been, um, Lebanon has been wrestling with since 2011, since the influx of Syrian refugees in Lebanon. Nine years of war. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, in Lebanon today, it is projected that or it's estimated that one in four people is a Syrian refugee and one in three is a refugee, either Syrian or Iraqi or uh, Palestinian. So this creates a huge burden on an already stretched thin public sector in Lebanon. So not to mention as well that we have we've had for 30 years um, uh, corruption that have taken away, that has really negatively impacted our economy big time. So over and above all these comes COVID-19 and the lockdown. So in 2000, in October 2019, we had an uprising against all the uh, deepening um, economic crisis. And since then, uh, uh, accompanied with uh, a really tough um, liquidity crunch at the banking level. Many businesses were closed and many people were um, uh, became jobless and, uh, and lost their sources of income. So amidst all this comes COVID-19 and the lockdown. So uh, we are seeing um, 
um, a really huge crisis where people are struggling um, to, to eat. And the prime minister has just declared that Lebanon is very much on the brink of uh, a hunger uh, issue big time. And we have never been through this. Even during the civil war in Lebanon, we have not been through this. I think the lockdown and COVID-19 has further um, uh, deepened the challenges we're facing uh, today. I mean, we we're, we were serving, as LSST, we've been serving uh, Syrian refugees for a number of years. Today, Lebanese are equally uh, in need of support as uh, much as um, Syrians. And so we're having to um, introduce new and emergent uh, programs to actually address the new emergent needs. So um, in the midst of all this, um, there is... Uh, lack of hope big time um, at the level of the young generation. Um, our churches are struggling for the first time. Um, many churches are having to, and, and you know, our culture is very much one of the fellowship. Um, and so uh, churches are struggling to interact uh, over internet or actually over the phone. And so, but they're finding new ways of doing so. But the reality is that there's this uncertainty, which is almost the same all, all across the world. But in our case, it's because we had a serious problem and now it's getting even worse off. Does that give you sort of an, uh, an idea of where we are today in Lebanon? Yeah. Yeah, the, the truth is that um, the crisis really from the 1970s on has really been your state of existence. And uh, I was amazed visiting Lebanon that uh, nearly one-fifth of your population were Syrian refugees. and the sense of a burden on the economy, yet remarkable toleration and openness still to that refugee burden. But as you've now described it, we've seen the rioting in your streets. We've seen the rioting against corrupt governments. Um, in terms of layer upon layer of crisis, where does hope come from? How, how do you survive this? I need to go back. I mean, everything is so um, intertwined in our case. I need to go back to the Syrian uh, refugee crisis as well here because um, Lebanon and Syria have been, for many, for many Lebanese, Syria has been an enemy country. And so um, having this influx of Syrians coming to Lebanon was not very welcomed by many Lebanese. Yet we saw God work through the churches we saw a transformation taking place within um, our church congregations, many of whom have been, uh, one way or the other, uh, been hurt by Syrian presence during the Civil War. Yet we saw this transformation, and uh, we saw the challenges and the journey that the church has been through all through the years. And this journey continues today with COVID-19, because um, we have learned that uh, being a church does not limit us within the walls of the church our churches are moving out of the comfort zone. And uh, we thought that COVID-19 would curb this. Uh, we're seeing the opposite, actually. Once you've tasted what it means to be the church, um, you just cannot uh, switch it off again. And so it's been fascinating to see how um, our churches have been thinking of creative ways of moving out of the comfort zone, even, even despite the social distancing and despite I mean, maintaining, but respecting the social distancing and all the, all the protective measures, but still going out of the way to be 
uh, to support the now even uh, more needy families, whether Syrian or Lebanese. So they expanded the support to include Lebanese, but also they have been thinking through of what, how can they best respond. Stories of hope, I, I think just the journey of the church is a story of hope by itself. And uh, for the vulnerable in our country uh, today, as they see the church stand along, alongside them, they know they're not on their own although everything seems to be against them. But having this uh, churches come, no strings attached, standing by their side is just an amazing story. I'll, get, I'll share with you some of the some of the incredible things that are happening. Um, we are, I mean, since the influx of Syrians, we've been working with about 45 churches between Syria and Lebanon. Now, each of the, these churches is on a journey of its own. Um, and the beauty of it is that it's a journey of its own. So there's no one way fits all for everyone. So God has been working with everyone um, um, in a different way, but all have been responding based on what's going on around them. And the same is true today. For instance, uh, we have about 10 uh, um, uh, church-based learning centers that we work with. These are for refugee children. So now with COVID-19 and the social distancing, we're seeing how teachers from our churches are finding creative ways of how they can continue the education programs with the serving kids, even though they are uh, dispersed in their own uh, tent settlements and not gathering in one place. Some are using WhatsApp. I mean, WhatsApp um, is an amazing tool today to share lessons. Uh, so they find um, almost every refugee family has a phone because that's how they get connected. And so they're using this WhatsApp channel to continue providing education support for the children. Another way is that also through our partners, we have um, established of the years, uh, worked with them on three sewing workshops. Today, those sewing workshops, which we normally use to actually um, uh, uh, sew uh, blankets that we would normally distribute during winterization, during, uh, during winter season, this time we are actually uh, working with the women on uh, creating um, washable, reusable uh, masks. So now we have three centers, 25 women, vulnerable women, working on developing, on creating uh, 14,000 uh, washable masks that we will be distributing on. So it's a, it's a huge, beautiful feeling where I am being able to support my fellow uh, sisters and brothers who are also going through a difficult time. The, the sense of dignity it gives to the people is just amazing. So yes, they are going through rough times, but they feel that they are able to contribute something to the others. And it's just fascinating. Um, also, we're seeing how uh, families who are unable to leave um, their homes are being supported by others in the community. Normally, with the pace of life, uh, you would have neighbors that you would not connect with. Today, you find neighbors reaching out to support the neighbors. And so these are new things that are happening. They are giving people hope in humanity, hope in, in uh, being part of the larger whole that cares. Um, and this is something, actually, this speaks about uh, the culture, but also it speaks about something that we were about to lose in the fast pace of life. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And... Um You've been experiencing what the world's experiencing. For Christians who used to fellowship, uh, it's very odd to say, I love you so much, I won't hug you. <laughs> I will stay distant. Um, and reconnecting with spiritual listening, prayer, and then you've been describing practical things that the churches are doing is so impressive. I um, was really impressed when I was uh, doing a short teaching stint at Beirut Bible School. Uh, at the vital Christian faith that I saw there, the 
West often thinks of the Middle East as really largely Muslim and forgets the most historic ancient churches were in Syria, in Lebanon, and today, as I saw when I was at Beirut Bible School, a vitality and a faith that uh, often Western Christians uh, don't know the story about. Um, you're telling me that the Christian church is in these really difficult times, finding a way still to keep that witness and that hope of the gospel alive. Yeah, very much so. And actually, I can, um, and there's different ways of doing so. Um, for us, as LSST, our mandate is to strengthen the witness of the church in the Middle East, North Africa. And we do so through equipping the church, but also through serving the community, but also through equipping the church to serve the community. So everything that we do falls under this. And so through partners like Baptist World Aid of Australia and others, we've been able to actually to provide this much needed equipping process, but also providing churches with the means of uh, just standing by uh, the vulnerable. And that is a reflection of our values and reflection of what, I mean, what Jesus teaches us to do. So um, the whole, I think, uh, in other ways, this is a reflection of the full meaning of the gospel as word and deed. And the churches in Lebanon, um, since, I would say, since the influx of Syrian refugees, because until then we were very much inward focused, we have learned what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And not just in Lebanon, in Syria, we're witnessing the same thing happen. So for years we've been locked in uh, because of the civil war, because of different kinds of things, because of this complex of being minority. Uh, but we have learned that um, we can only be uh, witnesses when we are actually engaging with the wider community. And that transforms us and them as well. So, not, so we're learning a lot. I mean, uh, oftentimes when I meet with uh, certain refugees who are from a different faith, I, I see that we're learning a lot from how, what God is doing in their lives. So if we say we want to be where God is at work, then that is where God is at work. And um, for us also, uh, as a church in the Middle East and also Middle East South Africa, uh, we cannot witness when we're uh, um, just focused on ourselves. We're missing the whole thing. Uh, so in, yeah. in, in many ways, the Syrian refugee crisis was the catalyst for the church to move from being inward looking to really understanding full mission and full witness again. Yeah. Actually, several of our partner churches <laughs> would make the comment that it's through the Syria crisis and our work with Syrian refugees that um, certain biblical verses now have a different meaning. It is easy to talk about or to recite verses when I am not in a very delicate position, like for instance, talking about loving your enemy, when, I, my, when my enemies are far away from me, but it has a different meaning when I think of my of, um, X or Y or Z as my enemies, and next thing I know is that they are next door to me and they are in need. So how can I talk about the love of Christ? How can I preach about mercy and compassion when next door to me are people who are struggling and I'm not reaching out to them? So I think God has put us in a very, in a corner, uh, to revisit re our faith and what does that mean? Uh, so uh, it's good to talk about our Christian faith. Sorry, that's the Christy. It's good to talk about our Christian faith when we're not challenged. And, yeah. and God has taught us um, that in every challenging circumstance, instead of hiding, there's an opportunity for us uh, to uh, just be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I think this is a new 
uh, a new uh, concept, a new reality, I should say, a new reality that our churches have learned, both, again, in Syria and in Lebanon. And it's so contagious um, and so beautiful. And in every case, uh, though I should say in every case, it started with um, prophetic voices within the churches that God used to help the church revisit um, how we are acting versus what Scripture says. I love what you're saying. One experience I had when I was in Beirut, I'd been in the Becker Valley visiting the uh, refugee camps, World Vision work. I was CEO of World Vision. And uh, back in Beirut, I did a walk late at night and um, a man called me over and said, would you like to have coffee? And uh, I think his name was Malak from a memory. And I walked into his place and there were uh, Syrian refugees sitting in his lounge room and I said sorry you've got guests he said no don't worry they don't speak English they're not guests they live here I said they live here he said yes I uh, they're refugees I employ them in my solar panel business I've given them a roof I've been doing it for 12 months and I said uh, Malak um, I'm guessing as a Christian, you probably are more sympathetic with President Assad in Syria because uh, he will give religious minorities more protection than if the Sunni, extreme Sunni rebels win. And he said, yes, uh, President Assad's a butcher, but at least he will protect religious minorities and I'm a Christian. And then I said, what about these people in your house? Oh, they get up, they face Mecca. They pray for the Sunni rebels to win. And I said, wow, Malak, these political and religious differences under the same roof, why do you do it? And Malak said, because they're human. And I realised earlier he was just telling me the story of the Good Samaritan, which happened a few kilometres down the road 2,000 years earlier, that he had looked beyond their religious or ethnic identity and saw someone human. And it sounds to me like many in the church in Lebanon have been on that same journey as Malak. Actually, since uh, the influx of refugees, um, as we started working with churches, um, our first uh, advice was that um, please do not ask our Syrian friends, please don't ask our Syrian friends whether they are pro-X or pro-Y. That means nothing to us. Everyone should feel that the church is a place where they are welcome. And so, uh, and this is also one way of paving the way for the church to play a peace-building role um, in Syria in the future. So people come to church and you find them sitting side by side Sunni background, Shia background, uh, Orthodox, Catholic, Evangelical, whatever. So all those that have issues with each other elsewhere in the church, they are all members of the same community. And this is fascinating. And this is what Jesus teaches us. So for us, we don't build much on the politics because for us, um, just like us, I mean, Lebanon is so very divided. So we look at people as people created in the image of God and full stop. And this has been so amazing for our church partners because uh, people come to, to church today, uh, whether for support or forever, they, they talk about the hope that they receive through interacting with our churches, the hope that they miss outside, the hope that they are desperately in need of. 
And um, especially since it comes with no strings attached. Uh, and to tell you one thing further as well, we were afraid at the beginning that um, because we worked with churches, that we would be giving a wrong impression to people that you have to become a Christian um, to uh, receive aid. And so we separated relief from uh, church ministry. And we told our church partners, people need to know that um, they're being supported because uh, they're going through a rough time and because we before them as Lebanese have been through a rough time and we know what it means to be homeless, to be um, in desperate need of support. So we know we empathize with them because we've been there. And it's only when we separated relief from ministry that's when people start coming to our churches because you've preserved their dignity. And that is a core value of ours. And so, yeah, we uh, we don't treat them any differently from what how we would want people to treat us, you know? And, of course, relief work is an expression of your ministry, but to give them comfort, you make it very clear there isn't just a converting agenda. Exactly, exactly. Especially since um, uh, being, yeah, uh, this is what people would be afraid of. And it was very important for us to know, for, for us to communicate to them that we value you, we love you, uh, we know what you're going through, uh, we've been there ourselves, and no strings attached. So when they started coming to our churches, and so today we have, we're seeing the same thing happen with COVID-19, because um, people who normally would not uh, uh, come to church are now through online services following up the Christian message. Um, because uh, hope is very much needed, and who can give hope except the church? One last question, Alia. This has been wonderful. In terms of the future for Lebanon, uh, does the church have a voice into what often is a frozen conflict, you know, a Christian president and a uh, a Sunni prime minister, is it? And uh, uh, a Shia speaker or leader of the uh, parliament. So constitutionally frozen, uh, going through crisis upon crisis. Does the church have a public voice at all into your country's situation? I keep going back to the Syria crisis because that's how our church started getting out of its comfort zone. In October, uh, in October uh, 2019, when the uprising started in Lebanon, we started seeing churches um, go down to downtown Beirut, set up a tent, and use that opportunity uh, to share what would Jesus, um, how would Jesus describe uh, being part of uh, a country that respects everyone else, where everyone has I mean, issues related to justice, um, which are core issues that we need to deal with in Lebanon. So the church became a voice in the public sphere. And so more and more, they would actually engage Christians from different religious backgrounds, as well as non-Christians, come into this tent and speak about issues that are on our hearts, all of us, whether we are Christian or Muslim or whatever, but uh, issues that are burning issues for us in a country that is so divided, so sectarian, where uh, you have to be pro-X or pro-Y to receive your services, to be, to be served. And so I, sh I share this because I see the young generation that has tasted what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the community, a church that is no longer satisfied to be um, on the margin, a church that actually realizes its role in the public sphere, and it has a voice. 
And it's the, this prophetic voice that is so very crucial um, um, today in Lebanon and elsewhere in the region and in the world, actually. And so we're seeing those young prophetic voices come out and speak up and uh, uh, define what it means to be a Christian um, in away from all this uh, um, disrespect to the other, you know? Um, and, and it's so beautiful, and I, I am very um, optimistic as to uh, how the young generation and where the young generation will take the church. I pick up a note that the sectarian identity, the frozen conflict, you actually have great hope in this next generation, modelling and seeing a completely different future and the church having a prophetic voice within. You know, um, whether it's Christians and non-Christians, I did my my uh, research on faith-based organizations in Lebanon, and I interviewed um, heads of uh, faith-based organizations, uh, uh, Catholic, Orthodox, Evangelical, Sunni, Shia, Jews, and you'd be surprised that almost everyone was against sectarianism. Everyone sees that this is um, um, dividing our community and that this is something negative that we need to move away from. But everyone, almost every one of them felt that they're driven into this um, because of the complex uh, way the country is uh, established. So given the opportunity, uh, I think and I I truly believe that uh, we need to move away from sectarianism. How long will it take us? I have no idea. I, yeah, I mean, every time there's a new movement, something happens. Uh, but in the long run, you will see that the, um, more and more people are seeing this as divisive and not something for the benefit of the whole. And this is profoundly going to our faith, neither Jew nor Greek. And I love uh, to finish with the Good Samaritan. Um, you know, 2,000 years earlier than when I was there, but here was Malak telling me the story. Uh, there, the priest and the Levite, I'm sure, would have helped the Jewish man built up, beat up on the Jericho Road if uh, he hadn't been stripped naked and they couldn't, therefore, they could not tell what ethnicity and religion and whose tribe he belonged to. The uh, Good Samaritan couldn't tell either, but he saw someone human. So sectarian identity might be clothed in certain language, religion, but at the end of the day, God sees us as humans. True, yeah. And actually, I have a story on that, <laughs> if you have time. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, churches that I visited earlier on, um, some 2012 or 13, um, they had this multitude. Uh, it's a church that... Um, uh, exists in majority non-Christian context and when I went and visited them they were not working with the majority context around them, a good number of um, refugees as well. And when I asked them why not and the pastor said I don't think my church is ready for that yet. And so he said and after about a year he approached us wanting to start a church-based learning center for vulnerable kids there. And the next year he wanted to start another and another and I asked him what changed. And he said, God is using our work with uh, Syrian refugees to teach us about him and the first lessons, forgiveness. And he said, I knew from day one what needed to be done. But I also knew that my church was not ready. So I went down on my knees and I prayed and prayed and prayed. And then he said, one day he invited them into the church, into the church and he closed the door and he said, 
do you love Jesus? And they said, yes. And he said, look around you. What do you see? What would Jesus expect you to do? That church done today, whether it's um, refugees or Christians or non-Christians, that church embraces everyone, regardless of their religious background or regardless of their um, nationality. It embraces them in an amazing way. And uh, um, the comment, I cannot forget the comment that the pastor made to me. He said, um, when we established this church, we said, this is God's church. And so who are we to come and dictate who we serve or who comes into the church? It is his church. And I think this is part of the journey that our churches are going through. And I think with COVID-19, especially since uh, with COVID-19, it's our uh, next door neighbor, the Lebanese, regardless of who or she is, uh, that God is calling us to serve, just maybe, maybe just a phone call to support. So I think uh, our church is on this journey to help us identify who we are in Christ and what does God expect us to do. We are identifying um, our calling as Christians. Uh, and, you know, in simple terms, what does God really expect from us to do? How can we be salt and light? It doesn't have to be the big things. Although uh, the church is doing amazing, amazing work today in responding to the needs of uh, the vulnerable, regardless of their uh, religious background or nationality. And I think um, um, with COVID-19, we are becoming more creative because of the lockdown in how we can be Christians in a majority non-Christian context. Alia, it has been an absolute delight and you have given us so many stories of hope in crisis. In your case, crisis that's gone on for decades. And I just want to say you will be in my prayers and those who listen to this podcast. Uh, thank, you thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hope in Crisis. We're a new podcast, so we would really appreciate it if you would share this with your friends and leave us a rating and review whilst making sure you're subscribed to receive our future episodes. That would be great. Be blessed and we'll be back soon with our next inspiring conversation. Brought to you by the Eternity Podcast Network.